good to be in your presence, Father. You've promised that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst. You've given to us some great promises that have said that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Uh, You have said that you are with us always, even to the end of the earth. So I pray that as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would recognize and we would count on the fact that there isn't a moment in our day-to-day activity that you are not present with us. We, We don't need to pray to say, God, be with us, because you've promised that you are with us. And so we say thank you for that. And I pray that in this service you would remind us all that it means for Jesus Christ to have come to this earth on our behalf. Thank you for what he did on the cross. Thank you for what it does for us, that it puts us into a right relationship with you. And it gives to us those precious, precious blessings that you have reserved for your children. And we say thank you for that. So I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that the cares of this week would fade away, the anticipation of things that will happen uh, as we leave this place, as we go into these, uh, this next week would uh, also fade away, and that we could, for this moment, this hour, concentrate on who you are, that you really are the way maker. You're the one who makes a way through all the difficulties that we're facing. Just like you did with the children of Israel of old as they went through the, the sea on dry land. You're the way maker, and we, we just rejoice in that. So speak to our hearts today. Calm us. Focus our attention on you, that you and you alone are worthy of all of our praise, all of our attention. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I have in my hand, um, it's an agenda, an agenda for staff meeting, and uh, this happens to be dated March the 9th, and uh, you know what an agenda is. Agenda is kind of a, a listing or, uh, you know, a schedule of what you want to accomplish in a, in a meeting, and what's interesting is that a lot of times when you uh, go to a meeting and you've got the agenda written out, once you get into the meeting, you realize that there are some people who have other agendas, right? And they've got a different direction they want the meeting to go. And if you think about it, an agenda is really, it's, it's, a, it's a desire, it's a, an outcome that you want to, to achieve. Um, and so you have written agendas. Sometimes you have hidden agendas, right? That, uh, people that you meet. It's a thought-out goal or plan of what you want to happen in a meeting or in a conversation or in a relationship or whatever. Here's the key. Everybody has an agenda in life. You may not have thought of that, but everybody you meet has an agenda. You know, when you're in a conversation and suddenly the, the conversation kind of turns funny, kind of goes a little different direction than what you thought it should go. And what do you immediately do? You're, you're asking yourself, well, what's his agenda? What's her agenda in this? What, what is she trying to accomplish here? Um, everybody has an, an agenda. Politicians have agendas, right? The news media has agendas. Uh, your boss, folks, have an, has an agenda. Your employees each have their own agenda. And so that's a desire, it's an outcome, it's an expectation, it's a goal of what you hope gets accomplished. 
Everyone has an agenda. And what I want you to understand today is that when Jesus Christ came to this earth as God in the flesh, Jesus had an agenda. He had a goal that he wanted to accomplish. He had a, a purpose for his life. Uh, I want us to look in Luke chapter 13. And let me kind of set the scene here for this. Some Pharisees who were the enemies of Jesus, his critics, excuse me, I've got a bad cold I've had all weekend, so just ignore all that, okay? For those of you who shook hands with me, sorry about that. <laughs> Maybe it's allergies, we'll just, we'll go there, we'll, we'll go for that, okay? But here in chapter 13, um, some of the Pharisees who were Jesus' critics, um, came to Jesus and they warned him, said, King Herod, and he's talking about Herod Antipas, is out to kill you. You better get out of here. Now, I don't think they were so concerned with Jesus staying alive as they were just getting him out of their hair. And, and look in Luke 13, 32. Here's Jesus' reply to them. Jesus said, go tell that fox, that's Herod Antipas, that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. In other words, he said, tell that old fox, don't distract me from my agenda. Don't distract me from the work that I've set out to do. I am focused on my agenda. I'm focused on the reason I came. I'm here to accomplish my purpose. In, in fact, here in Luke chapter 13, there is, a, there is a phrase that really summarizes all of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's these words that said, He was, quote, always pressing on toward Jerusalem, end quote. Jesus was always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Now, what was Jerusalem? Jerusalem was His agenda. Jerusalem was the goal that He had set out for Himself. Jerusalem was where He would die for the sins of mankind. That's why he came. And so he was pressing toward his agenda. He's motivated by his, by his agenda. He's driven by his purpose. So I want us to look real quickly at four things about Jesus' purpose or his agenda. The very first thing I want to mention is that on his agenda was death. On his agenda was death. Uh, shift from with me from Luke chapter 13, and let's go to John 12. The uh, action in John 12 takes place during that last week of Jesus' earthly ministry before the crucifixion. Um, and in the particular section that this, uh, these few verses are found comes right after the triumphant entry of Jerusalem, uh, of Jesus into Jerusalem. You know, the people have acclaimed him and said he's the Messiah and, you know, Hosanna, praise God in the highest and all that. Um, and after that occurred, the scripture tells us that some Greeks, now these were probably what we would call God-fearers or proselytes. You see, there were true Jews, and then there were those who wanted to embrace Judaism as a, as a faith system. And so they would become Jews in, in, through ceremony and all that, and they were called proselytes. They, had, they were Gentiles who had become Jews. But then there was a third group who were God-fearers. They hadn't come to the point of embracing Judaism as a proselyte, but they feared God, Jehovah God. And so these Greeks 
were either God-fearers or proselytes. They were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And they approached Philip because they wanted an audience with Jesus. Look at John 12, beginning of verse 20. It says, Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Now, why Philip? What's so significant about them going to Philip? Well, I think there's a clue here in John's narrative. Because John has already introduced us to Philip before, back in chapter 1. But now he's, he's mentioning Philip again. And notice what he said. Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee... There's a clue there as to who these Greeks were and and why the connection with Philip and so forth. Because Philip was from Bethsaida, and Bethsaida was on the border of a territory that was made up of Greek communities. In fact, it was called the Decapolis. If you ever read that in Scripture, the Decapolis, the word means ten cities. And these were Greek cities. People who spoke Greek, who were Greek, who carried out the Greek culture. And they were, that was the region that was just east of the Sea of Galilee. And so Bethsaida is right on the border there. And so there would have been a lot of Greek influence in that town. Now, I don't think that Philip had this you know, sign plastered on his forehead saying, I'm from Bethsaida, I'm at nearby to the Greeks, you know. But somehow they knew that Philip would understand who they were and and their culture. Um, Maybe they had run into him before in Bethsaida. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But there was some connection there. They went to Philip and said, we would see Jesus. Um, Let me just kind of take an aside there. Years and years ago, when I was at Baylor University, um, I was on a, a singing group for the First Baptist Church of Waco, and I played the guitar and all that. And I remember one, after one of the practices, we were in the big auditorium of this church. I went up and I stood in the pulpit, and it was just really, it was very encouraging. Written where nobody out there could see it, but written where the, the pastor or whoever was speaking could see were the words right here that says, we would see Jesus. You know what? That's a statement that people around you are saying to you every single day. We would see Jesus. As you go through your daily life, are people seeing Jesus in you? That's what this world needs. They need for us to show them Jesus. And so here are these Greeks, and they come to Philip, and they say, we would see Jesus. And... um, Look at verse 22. Philip then went to Andrew. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Now, Andrew was also from Bethsaida. And uh, why would he go to Andrew? Well, possibly, and this is all speculation because Scripture doesn't give us specifics, but possibly it was because Andrew would have easier, more direct access to Jesus Because he was the brother of Peter. Peter, James, and John were of that inner circle. And so Philip goes and gets Andrew and says, Hey, get your brother. These guys want to hear Jesus. They want to talk to Jesus. Uh, We don't know exactly why, why he went to Andrew. But what I do want you to notice as you look at this narrative here, it doesn't indicate that Jesus spoke directly with the Greeks. 
that he did give them the audience. He, he appears in these uh, verses that follow, he appears to be addressing those who were following, anybody who could hear an earshot. And maybe these Greeks were in the audience listening. So we pick up at verse 23. Jesus replied, and he, you know they said, these men want to see Jesus, and here's Jesus. He, he says this, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Now, remember, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem has just taken place that morning. This is probably early afternoon when this is taking place. And Jesus is declaring, he says, the time has come. And and some in the crowd would have immediately interpreted those words as um, a declaration that Jesus's revolution against Rome was about to commence and that Jesus was going to establish his earthly kingdom. And they were really excited about that. But to the dismay of the crowd, instead of talking about earthly kingdoms, Jesus talked about death. Uh, The crowd had visions of conquest. Jesus had visions of Calvary. And it it was the time for Jesus to enter into his glory. That's what he said here. He says, the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Now that phrase, Son of Man comes out of the book of Daniel. That was a term that Daniel gave to the coming Messiah. It was a term that Jesus readily adapted and called himself the Son of Man. And so here's the Son of Man. He's going to be glorified, but not by conquering the Romans and immediately establishing some kind of kingdom. Instead, he's going to be glorified by death. Verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soils and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. See, here's Jesus, and he's pointing to his agenda. He's pointing pointing to his purpose. And he does that by using an agricultural picture here, an illustration that the people would have understood. He said, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. In other words, death was absolutely necessary for life to be produced. Uh, That's a phenomenon in in agriculture. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he's going to be glorified through his death and through his resurrection. Um, You know, the, the fact of the matter is, His kingdom, his glorious kingdom, could never be established on this earth unless there was the cross on which he died. You know, and there are some people out there who say, well, you know what? You know, Jesus came to the Jewish people and that was God's plan. He was going to start the kingdom and all that. And the Jewish people rejected him. So God went to plan B. Crucifixion occurred, and the the you know the the offer of salvation was given to the to the Gentiles, folks. Anybody who believes that that Jesus could establish his kingdom without the cross is a fool. In fact, that's the word that Jesus himself used 
to describe anyone who, who did not understand that the reason he came, that his agenda was, his purpose was to die. Remember the words that Jesus uh, spoke to those two men that after the resurrection, they were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joined them. And what does scripture say in Luke 24, verse 25? He says, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophet has spoken. Was it not necessary? Wasn't it absolutely essential for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of Scripture. So in other words, Jesus plainly stated that as God the Son, his whole reason for coming to earth, of being born in the flesh, in flesh and blood, his whole purpose was to come to die. Because Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin. So Jesus came to die. That's, that's the most important thing. So on his agenda was death. But his agenda included more. Secondly, on his agenda was rescue. On his agenda was rescue. Jump now with me to Luke chapter 19. This is the incident of uh, Zacchaeus and Salvation come to Zacchaeus' house. And in verse 10 there in Luke chapter 19, we read this. He said, this is Jesus' words. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. There's a purpose there. There's a part of his agenda. He's come to seek and to save those who are lost. Now the word lost there translates a Greek word that means to be ruined or to be destroyed. Uh, you know, sin has a way of doing that. It has a way of devastating all of humanity, of, of leaving lost sinners marred and corrupted and evil and ruined and headed for eternal damnation. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, folks, that we have ignored God's purposes for our life. And when we do that, we end up shipwrecked. When we end up following our own agenda, Unfortunately, it ruins us. It destroys us. I mean, we go our own way and what happens? All the wheels come off and we're stuck in the sand. And there's no hope in sight. The word save there, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. The word save means to rescue from harm or from danger. And that was the agenda of Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the ruined situation we find ourselves in. He came for those who were ruined. He came to rescue them. Uh, one of the old hymns of our faith by Philip Bliss, Man of Sorrows, really puts it this beautifully. It says, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's who we are. We're ruined sinners. And He came to rescue us. A third thing on his agenda was life. On his agenda was life. Back to John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus has been teaching about the Good Shepherd. And he says this, because he's talked about the thief, the person who would steal the sheep and so forth. And so in verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We've already seen that lostness 
is really a state of destruction. And so here's Jesus, and he's pointing out that this lostness, this destruction, this ruin is of Satan himself. Uh, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and, and what, did, what happened there? Satan successfully tempted Adam and Eve to substitute God's agenda for their life for their own agenda in life. He says, if you'll eat this, you'll be like God. And so as a result of that, since that time, we've all been following Satan's agenda. I want to be my own God. I want to be God in my life. I want to do it my way. You know, it's all about me. And so Jesus is saying here, look at Satan's agenda. He's the thief who would rob us of everything that God created us for. Satan's uh, Satan's agenda is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But folks, Jesus had a different agenda. And that is life. And it's an abundant life. The the word life there really means spiritual life. It means eternal life. And the word abundantly means that God gives us over and above that which is necessary. You know, it'd be one thing for him just to give us the gift of eternal life. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) That when we trust in Jesus Christ that we get our ticket punched for heaven and that's about all we get. And, and that would be all right. I mean, that would be sufficient. Isn't that what we want? We want to be with God for eternity. But Jesus gives us over and above that. He gives us abundant life in the here and the now. And so that we can live victoriously. We can live joyously. We can live in the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. And we can enjoy life here as well as life there. And so Jesus' agenda was to die, was to rescue, was to give abundant life. And the last thing I would mention, and this is the wonder of it all, on his agenda was me. On his agenda was you. If you were to look at Jesus' daytimer on his to-do list, there would be your name. He died for you. John 3.14 As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him, underline those words, everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. That means you. Everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Verse 16 For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes, underline those words again, everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's you. Everyone who believes. And He says, God sent not His Son into the world, not to judge the world. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing God's one and only Son. You know, there's a lot of people who have this really fuzzy idea that God is an angry God, God is a judge that's going to condemn the world, and that He's out to punish us, you know, that He would rather condemn us than embrace us in love. And yet that's not so. Look at verse 17 again. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Over and over, Scripture says, God is not willing for any to perish, 
but for everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. God doesn't want to condemn people. In fact, if people perish, it's not because God chose them to perish. It's because it was of their choosing. Look at that. God sent His his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. And then look at the last part of verse 18. Anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. So God doesn't condemn us. Folks, if we don't believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, we condemn ourselves. To not believe is to be judged. So here's the truth I want to leave you with. On Christ's agenda was written your name. It was written my name. In fact, on your outline there, those of you who are here or those at home, next to outline point number four where it says, uh, on his agenda was me. Cross, cross out that word me and put your name there. On his agenda was Sam. On his agenda was John. On his agenda was Rob. On his agenda was Patricia. On his agenda was Linda or Alicia or Monica or Roger or Roman or, or, or whatever your name is. You were on Jesus' agenda, folks, from the beginning of time. He came on purpose to die that you might have life and have it abundantly. How do you respond to that? If you've never trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, do that today. Don't leave this place. Don't turn off your computer until you have saw until you have resolved in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. By repenting of your sin and saying, God, I've messed up. I've been going the wrong direction. The wheels have come off. I'm stuck in the sand. I need you in my life. And confess that sin, saying, man, I've, I've done my own thing and it's not working. And ask Him to come into your life and to save you. Let's bow for prayer. Their heads bowed and our eyes closed. I just would invite you, if you've never before trusted Christ as Savior, do that this morning. It's simply asking Him to do that. God has said over and over again that if we will ask we will receive. And so I'm encouraging you this morning to ask Him to save you. Ask Him to give you the gift of eternal life. Just a simple prayer that would simply say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I am out of fellowship with you. I know that I am bound for a, for a Christless eternity in hell. I admit that I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. I ask you right here and right now to come into my heart. Give me a brand new heart. Forgive me of my sin. Take away that, that load of sin in my life. Make me into a brand new person. And I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I want you to be the boss in my life from this day forward. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.